Hi, I'm the Athletics Joe Posnanski uh, for Indochino. You know, finding clothes that fit you just right can be incredibly challenging, especially for somebody like me who has uh, a body type I would call um, dumpy. It's tough to find anything that fits right. You know, I'm not really a large. I'm not really an extra large. I'm not really a double extra large. I'm not really anything. So it's obviously, it's fantastic. You go to Indochino. They have you uh, go through this entire fitting process where you give them basically every single bit of information that you have about yourself, uh, you have every measurement you have, uh, who your favorite beetle is, uh, you know what what uh, you believe about the infield fly rule, and uh, and then you come out and and they're they're going to send you uh, clothes that are uh, that fit you really better than anything you could possibly get in the store. It's it's fantastic. Uh, with Indochino, you get custom fitted suits, coats, casual wear uh, at surprisingly affordable prices. Customize everything from the fabric and lining to the lapel shape and a monogram if you're a monogram kind of person. Uh, if you're getting married, Indochino is a no-brainer for you and your groomsmen. Forget about the off-the-rack suits that don't fit different body types. Indochino gives everyone a tailored fit. Visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America or book a virtual appointment and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter the code JOE at check. Look at that, JOE. It's for me. JOE at checkout. That's super easy to remember. You go to Indochino.com, and the promo code is JOE. Farm on the field, people will come. It doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, a podcast about Chicago's Southside baseball team, hosted by me, John Greenberg, and our playoff correspondent, James Fegan. Subscribe to White Sox Business on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check out James's and my work on The Athletic as well. And we're running a special $1 a month promo right now at The Athletic. You can access it by going to theathletic.com forward slash Southside. James, uh, so what happened at the ballpark today? I know Josh Donaldson got kicked out after hitting a home run, but did anything else, uh, you know, of note happen? Ronaldo Lopez delivered a not overwhelming, but serviceable five and a third innings against a team that had dogged him for years. The end. So it was the Ronaldo Lopez revenge game. Yeah, re- revenge against pitching with uh, velocity, right. I guess. <laughs> so what? This is a weird thing because in a normal year, the White Sox clinching their first playoff berth since two thousand eight, which is what they did on Thursday, would have been a really raucous environment, like guaranteed rate field. I mean, people would have known, even though it was an afternoon game, people would have it would have been a decent crowd because people would have known there's you know a pretty good chance they could clinch here. And you would have been in like they would have been partying in the clubhouse. You'd be covered in champagne. You wouldn't had you wouldn't have had to be on Zoom for like two hours waiting for three people to talk. What was the actual experience like on Thursday? I mean, they rescued the that a little bit in the fact that it was like a tensely tightly played game and really a pretty well, pretty good series in that respect. And all the games had a fair amount of tension. And they were clearly like pretty high level uh i would say these definitely seemed yeah. like two teams fighting for a division crown the whole time and the fact that 
it was just kind of this exchange of solo shots, uh, the twins going ahead and the White Sox kind of fighting their way back uh, the entire the entire afternoon. Um, kind of made up for it. I mean, there there was there there were like these gritty heroic elements of the of the whole story, like Jose Abreu legging out this infield single, um, partially enabled by Jorge Polanco not seemingly to recognize the the tension of the moment, and uh, you know Eloy Menez coming back from striking out three times to so line this like big uh important double uh you know down the line to to seal it away um it, it was kind of cool but yeah it definitely has missed some of the heat it definitely would be a situation where you're you know talking to jose Abreu post game for one and um right and uh you know getting the the full emotion of this instead you have a pretty reserved tim anderson uh, talking like 45 minutes later and then you know, Eloy Menez is really the, the person who kind of spoke to the moment uh, uh, the most out of anybody. But yeah, it's it's a little strange. But you know, that fits. I, I think that the quote that I always come back to is Lucas Giolito after his no hitter saying, "Like you know, this year has been weird enough. Why don't you just throw this on top?" So was Eloy the best Zoom interview of the day? Right. Which uh, uh, this might be a contrarian opinion, but. I don't think Eloy is – I always enjoyed El- – my first time I ever talked to Eloy was in Winston-Salem right after he got traded. And it was in person, one-on-one, and there was no interpreter. And we kind of had to work through it together. And he really was pretty intensive about breaking down his approach. And I'm glad he did it then because I don't know if I'm ever going to get another intensive talk about Eloy's approach uh, for the rest of his career because his group interviews is largely like – his shtick and he's kind of mugging for the camera and doing all this kind of oofball stuff, which is great for like the 15 seconds on local sports news, but probably isn't the greatest for athletic format because he's not really, uh, you know, he doesn't really go as in depth as, you know, we would normally go. But I, I felt like he was, he was well suited for this because he really spoke to the emotion to the moment uh, more than re- really anyone else did when it, it was kind of, um, you know, manicured and, uh, you know, a little bit sterile zoom interviews. Right, that's I, you'll be back in a clubhouse one day. You'll be able to break it down with him. Don't worry. You know, have some faith, some faith in modern med. Your your mom's a, a a highfalutin doctor. She should be able to give you some. Uh, or she just giving you negative stuff. And you know, she's, I mean, like. given where she's at in her career, she's very much like um, I was three days from retirement type of detective being pulled into like uh, <laughs> she's she's Riggs from uh, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> <laughs> or she's Danny Glover's character at the end of Predator Two, or something like that. <laughs> Basically, she, you're, we're just comparing her to Danny Glover characters. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's always her, it's her always politics are pretty lined up with Danny Glover, so it fits. <laughs> she's always a day. They pulled me back in. Exactly. That's uh, great. She's she's like Obama at the end of his term when he thought he was just going to coast, and uh, Hillary Clinton was going to carry everything on. <laughs> but no, it's. I, I see what you're saying about Eloy, though, because right, he's, you know, he was actually he did a post game with uh, Stoney and Jace and Benetti because I was watching from home today, and it was actually terrible because he wasn't even doing his shtick. He was just like it was just like a really bad interview on TV, and it was like they were struggling to get anything out of him. And then at the end, he he did his high mom routine. You know, then he got it shticky right with his high mom stuff. Yeah. And then Ozzy just goes, he, why is he talking to his mom? His mom's in the Dominican. She's not watching. He's like, he, he should be saying, hey, bro, to you, ch- to Chuck Garfine. And 
Chuck's like, why? He's like, because I see you suffer for him. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like Ozzy really set it up really well. It was really funny. I definitely got a, a huge kick out. I definitely got a huge kick out of it. Um, and they did a good job. It was kind of fun just to, you know, if we talked about before, just the the oddity of having Ozzy doing the post game, which is really weird because he's, you know, wants, would like to be managing this team, I assume. But he was actually very complimentary of Ricky. And, you know, he was just kind of excited. And it's just weird because obviously the last time they made the playoffs, Ozzy was a manager. Right. <laughs> you know, a manager in good standing. It was so long ago. Uh, so it was just kind of an, it is an interesting postgame show. Uh, I'll say that. But, the, of course, the big celebration is them. They want to win the Central. Right. And this win put them in great position to do that, I think. You, you probably the standard for you know being okay with this series is them just splitting and basically holding serve, and that would take them down to a wire um, with a one game lead with ten to play. Not great, but and you know not easy competition down the stretch. But you know in in the driver's seat, you, you'd rather be in their position than the Twins certainly. But this really puts them, uh, you know, they're three ahead and four in the loss column uh, ahead of them. And uh, it, it's really a situation where now the division should be the goal and it's almost would be a failure and it would take, you know, real struggles and limping down the stretch uh, for that to happen. And, you know, even though not everything is going right with the team, and, you know, Luis Roberts in this big time slump, um, I, I think they've shown a lot of resilience against a tough pitching staff that they're not just like they didn't dominate the twins pitching staff uh, at any point um, during this week, but. They had a lot of games against tough pitchers where um, I think their kind of resilience and their ability to just, you know, we talk about them being mistake hitters, but they really do make it tough. It is really tough to not make any mistakes over the course of nine innings. And I think that usually shows up more nights than not that, you know, even someone like Sergio Romo, um, who just is going to come in and throw in sliders, it's hard to go in and throw 15, 16 good sliders in a row and not make any mistakes and not have any, not have anything bite you. And, you know, the White Sox proved that a little bit. Right. I think, you know, the big thing is we knew they'd be good mistake hitters and even early on, but it's, it's another thing really, you know, the beauty obviously of a baseball season is the length is watching this happen over six months. And this is, you know, very strange and a not very representative sample, you know, 60 games, but it has seemed like, you know, you, we've seen some real growth and it, it just the beauty of the season to me, even though I wasn't really, you know, so detached from it in a lot of ways, is just seeing the fantasy of the White Sox and the rebuild just come to reality. And that's that's nothing new that, you know, we saw that with the Cubs. You've seen it with other rebuilding teams, the Astros, for example. And it but it but when you actually see it happen, it, every team is unique. And it was just really fascinating to watch on a daily basis. Yeah, it's been very interesting to go to take all the names that they have and how have seen them go from the names on the back of that crazy guy's shirt who used to come to White Sox games with all like the prospects on the names of the back of his jersey, and now that's like that's just the lineup, and it it really is kind of a gauntlet to go through. It's weird to go through Jose Abreu and maybe one or two other players who are viable, and there's not like a truly soft spot of uh, the White Sox order. And I know that's a cliche, but, you know, it's really true. I mean, even Luis Robert in a slump is not like a totally just like slough off his a bat. Like if he, once he comes out of it or 
God forbid you throw him the slider that takes him out of right. it. Um, there, there's really real consequences in the way that's not, oh, you made a mistake to Yolmer Sanchez and now he's on first base. Right. Team pitchers can't take him off. You're not going to just, right. you know, it's even if it's just putting mental stress on a pitcher, that's what having Luis Robert in a slump is, you know, a slumping Luis Robert. I mean, it, it does to you. Freaking Gerard Dyson at two uh, hits today. Yeah, how about that? Not bad, right? I mean, he, he hasn't homered yet, though, so he, he and uh, he and Mazzaro are still tied, right? Yeah, uh, it's it's still uh, as weird as it is to say. It's Adam Engel's job to lose. <laughs> Who could could they get a homer from one of these guys? They, could they? What if Mazzaro hits a homer like uh, Petsednik? in the playoffs it'd be really fun to revisit his legacy after basically just um you know the whole entire season to just getting crapped on i mean i i just i probably would get a kick later tonight of just reading my mentions from announcing ronaldo lopez is going to start today uh (laughs) given it's just like right series split everyone announcing and uh right it's it's gonna get buried but like that dude's shoulder is not 100 percent, and he just pitch backwards a monk against the lineup that has really killed him his entire career and kept him in the game it's not like gonna i don't think he should be like a, a statue and on the lakefront or something but it was a little gutty little performance buried in there no yeah you're right you're right 100 i mean this is just it's just been such a weird season because you know you i i think of of all the like i guess not just not just storylines but but the I could see the the things that didn't happen, right? Like the people surrounding Tim Anderson's locker as, as he's hitting 380, you know, and talking. Just imagine what the, what the clubhouse would have been like, you know, the past couple of weeks when the when the, the real storyline has been who's the MVP, Tim Anderson or Jose Abreu. Well, that would have lasted, you know. I could just see the the horde of media going from locker to locker, and a couple of reporters who ask the same question to every guy in the same exact wording because they're putting it on the radio, um, asking the same thing, right? Yeah, like, we'd be you- like talking to Carlos Rodon about the most recent stage of his rehab, and then like some TV people butt in and be like, "Well, so you think Bray or Anderson's MVP?" And it, it'd be like one of the guys. Face. I don't want to say the name, but one of the guys will be like, you know, always has the set way of saying things. Be like, it's been a great season for you guys. Uh, fulls, you know, full of these new experiences. Just how fun is this? <laughs> how, how, I, I do miss the the one in the world was so innocent that we could ask, how fun is this all the time? <laughs> <laughs> to every guy. And then, it's like, then you ask the same guy the same question. Abreu versus, Abreu and Tim Anderson, which, who do you think is the MVP? And then, you know, they chuckle. You get like a chuckle from uh, from Ricky. Oh, they're both my MVPs. Has he said that yet? Um, no, I don't think he's really been been braced on it. I mean, I, I never really thought. I mean, ultimately, that's not the, the decision in their hands where they have to um, decide on it. I, I never really thought it was like a big thing to put on. Maybe I just didn't expect a good quote out of Ricky from putting that on him. But uh, yeah, I just always think back to when. Uh, when he was with the Cubs and people asked him if like guys should make the all-star team. And he's like, they're both, they're all my all-stars. Yeah. He still does. He's right. That's probably why we don't ask him is because he says stuff like that all the time. Right. Everyone's just like, that's not really helping me. It ever catches himself. (laughs) Right. It's like, I just give me a quote, dude. We're we're not asking for like your real answer. We just, we just need a sound. These people just need sound bites. 
Well, uh, I, it's like being scared of a shadow. Like you, you ask him about a Brayu <laughs> hustling down the line to, you know, basically save the game today. And he feels like he doesn't want to go too far on it because he thinks it'll get flipped the other way. And you're implying that other guys are dogging it down the line every other play, which is, you know, not the point. <laughs> uh, a little too much media training, perhaps. James, let's pause for a moment and then we'll be back with the rest of the show. This is the Athletic Shield Kapadia here to tell you about Liquid IV. Nobody likes to feel dehydrated. Maybe you get a little bit of a headache, dry mouth. You just don't feel like yourself. But believe it or not, dehydration still occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. Maybe you use it after a really intense workout. Maybe you went out socially distanced with friends and had a couple extra beers the night before. That's where Liquid IV comes in. It is healthier than those sugary sports drinks, no artificial flavors or preservatives, and less sugar than an apple. Plus, it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. And Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. Liquid IV is donating 3.7 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. All right, let's talk about what story you did um, this week about possible playoff opponents. And right now, I believe it's still, if the you know the season ended today, it would be still Cleveland, right? Right, because Cleveland is uh, at some point needs to win a game again. <laughs> that would help. But I think that's I think that's both a bad matchup because Cleveland's like the most extreme example of a team that's just going to like command, 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 and really challenge the White Sox to stick to a consistent offensive approach but also like cleveland's offense is extremely bad and that's why they're in the position they're in and yes it would be nervy watching the white Sox kind of struggle to score for like seven innings but they probably once if they got rolling at all would only ever need to come up with a come from behind a one or two run deficit Um, (laughs) so it's it's it seems like a very like thematically and you know looking to construction team it'd be like a very worthy challenge of them but also at the end of the day, it wouldn't actually be that hard. Like it would be, it, it kind of it reminds me of like a 2005, like Astros world series. We're like, Oh, those games are so intense and they're all tight, but like you also swept them. So like, how good were they? <laughs> it would be, I agree with you on the, on the pitching stuff, but it would, it would probably be an example too of, you know, the pitching holds up for a couple games and then they're just like, Jesus Christ, is anyone going to score for us? And then you then you see the white, you know. Then then there becomes like a couple blowout games. Yeah, is what I would see. Like it just they just wouldn't last when you can't when you hit that poorly. Eventually, like you the know, entire outfield is Nomar Mazzara. <laughs> it's like what if we made the whole outfield out of Nomar Mazzara? I'm literally like their OPS is in that territory. Oh yeah, yeah. But you're going to get a little preview of them because you're going to Cleveland. We're sending you to the exotic Cleveland. Uh, the tour grand tour of ohio i know at least you don't have to to go you you were putting in there like maybe going to cincinnati tomorrow thank god you don't have to do that 
Yeah, well, uh, yeah, uh, the Tribune was talking about too if they didn't clinch today. So, um, so everyone's everyone's taking tomorrow off. Friend of the media, Eloy Jimenez, with that RBI double. Right, seriously, keep everyone out of Cincinnati for an extra day. And they they put you, they like uh, quarantine the reporters, don't they? Um, if they're coming from a, a spot, hot spot state, oh, just a hot spot. Yeah, okay, Illinois is not on that list. I thought the first games they were doing it for everyone. <laughs> maybe they maybe they relaxed their quarantine rules when they when they realized yeah. the White Sox were also doing it. They realized they were wrong. So, <laughs> unless I had read the email wrong, I, we should be good to go. Um, right. So you're going Saturday and Sunday to Cincinnati. Are you going to Saturday's game or just driving Saturday? I figured if I was going to drive there Saturday, I might as well watch the game. Yeah, I guess makes sense. yeah right. It's a night game. Yeah. Okay, and then Saturday day, and then off to Cleveland for however many days you pl- <laughs> however many days you feel like staying. That's our that's our travel policy. However yeah, long you I mean, stay um, if you're if, the, if they're in a position to clinch the division, exactly um, that kind of determines it. And if they're not, uh, get home early to see them do it against the Cubs. I suppose. I know. I'm ex- yeah. I'm excited for that Cubs. That's going to be fun. A little Cub Sox series to get to go into it. You know, both teams are playing pretty well. There's obviously, you know, they're both making the playoffs for the first time since 08. You know, it should be a pretty fun environment, as fun of an environment as it can be with, you know, no fans. Yeah, I just wonder how much they'll have, they'll each have to play for at that point. And whether right. we'll if see the, the White Sox start to take the foot off the gas a little bit, if uh, that results in the Cubs like, might actually be able to take their foot off the gas because they're, uh, that division's they're, not they, great. Yeah, they're, they're they've got a really good lead. I think they're at like four, aren't they? Four or five? Yeah, so good chance we could see like Right, a, so it actually might be a really terrible series. Is what the Jonathan Steve routing. Yeah, five and a half right. games. Good grief. <laughs> yeah, it's like everyone's talking about how bad the Cubs are. <laughs> you know, they can't hit. None of their guys are hitting. <laughs> They've got a five and a half game lead in their division. Well, <laughs> nice to be the only team in the division over the play, over 500. It's like uh reminds me of the night in 97 when I was graduating high school. Um, that Pirates team was the one that made less than Albert Bell. <laughs> the whole team <laughs> or was making less than Albert Bell at the beginning of the season. And they actually were, they were in the race the whole time. And they lost to the Astros by like two games or something, but finished like four games under 500. Good grief. And that was when they got Sean Dunstan at the trade deadline. Well, maybe there can be more of that when they expand the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. So you know what I'm looking at right now, James? Uh, when no. I went March 9th, which was basically right before the end of the world, Yeah, I went to Rivers Casino to op- see them open up their sports book. Um, I actually shook Eddie O. I didn't want to touch anyone at that point because it was already – we knew what was going on. And friggin' Eddie O. puts his hand out to me, and I felt like I had to shake it, and I was like scared to death. Uh Eddie O placed the first bet um, at that in Illinois, the first legal bet in Illinois, and he took the White Sox to win the pennant. I placed like the second, third, and fourth bets in the state of Illinois, um, and one of them was the White Sox to win the pennant. I just I remembered that uh, oh. today. So I, I took. Uh, tw- Is this an ethical tw- quandary? No, um, I thought I bet more, but I only bet twenty five bucks. Uh, to win, but I got twenty five bucks to win, and I win four hundred and twenty five. So maybe we'll buy Cam a present with that. Probably not. I think, but it's uh, actually, you know, and you know who I took to win the NL pennant? 
Um, was it the Miami Marlins? Close. Cincinnati. Oh. They actually has a worse record than the Marlins right now. They're streaking. They are streaking. They won five in a row. I thought they would. I mean, I think a lot of people thought they would have been better. I could, they, they always look superficially better than I feel like they are. I don't know. I'm kind of glad Trevor Bauer's on a bad team, though, even though he's, he's very good. I just I find his whole shtick annoying. And, and the people that, and the people in our industry that kiss up to him because he's like a nerd and like, you know, like talk about nerdy pitching stuff. I, I just find the whole shtick annoying. I mean, same, but <laughs> Trent on the Reds B is one of my good friends. And Tr- Trent's opinion very much went from uh, this tired. Oh, my God. Look at my numbers. <laughs> and I wonder, I wonder if the same thing would happen if he came here. Right, right. He's <laughs> like, I love this guy. Every time I write to something, people are into it. Yeah, it probably would be a little better for you to have like a guy that's like super interesting rather than like a big dork. Who's what are you nice. What are you saying about the my my uh, my muse? Who's who's like a super nice ethical like you know just like a, a like the guy you want to like you, we want to be your brother in law. <laughs> the, the, the jumbotron segment of Chialito yesterday with a where they asked him if they'd rather do something. It's like. See into the future or um, read minds, and he said both are an invasion of privacy. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like a big goofball. I, I, I'm always amazed that those are the guys we always like because they, they're the ones that seem like us if we had superpowers. Right. If I was six foot eight um, with a magical pitch. Right. It's like it's like what uh, Ricky O'Donnell once said about Anthony Davis. That Anthony Davis was like a real life like superhero story where he just woke up one day and was six twelve. Uh, one of my friends was his math teacher in high school. And oh, really? Like remembers when he before he was tall. She right, really he was just him. like a normal. He was like six four or something. Yeah, that's yeah. So Still it, the it, unibrow. <laughs> exactly. What about um, you wrote about playoff stuff, playoff rotation, and it kind of seems like. You wrote a question on who would be the third starter, and it basically it was one of those questions where you knew the answer before you started, which thought it'd be like a fun intellectual exercise. I mean, it's it's Dane Dunning, right? Right. There, there are two thing ways I could have written. I could just written like a straight opinion column about saying like it's Dunning, but I also thought that'd be in both cases like the answer is a little obvious that you kind of have to strain to make it an exercise. Like, why am I writing like? <laughs> Like it's writing, you know, my column, the sky is blue a little bit. But um, right. So I, I kind of debated myself on saying like, well, if I was going to argue for cease, what would be the case? And then I find a wind up getting into a wormhole, basically how you think of, you know, how the organization projected him as a top end starter in the first place. And you see all this stuff, uh, the raw velocity and the fact that he had like this his breaking ball looked wipe out just two months ago. And that's, that seems like something he would snap into at some point uh, down the road. And, you know, the whole rag on cease was that he was going to be a reliever because, you know, beyond just not having the, the usable command for it, you know, he didn't have his changeup and he's going to be vulnerable to lefties, which he's been so far in his career. And the changeup's actually done, you know, a lot of progress. It's not like you just don't see any progress from cease or don't get where they see the capability for him to do it. Um, long term uh, he's clearly improved on a lot of things uh, and i think if it 
if the command did kind of snap together for him, I think he could easily start putting together, uh, you know, because Dane Dunning puts together like these very yeoman starts where he like gets his way through innings with weak contact. He's not going to strike out 15 dudes in a game or anything like that. I think if Cease got hot, you would start seeing these outings where he's just dominating top end offices because he has the stuff to do it. And so like if, if Cease goes out in his next two starts and like shoves and like strikes out like 10 to 11 dudes over seven or eight shutout innings twice in a row, you kind of think like, oh, crap, maybe he is now this guy that we thought he's going to be all of a sudden, and maybe that would change the conversation. I don't think that's likely to happen. I think his next command tweak probably happens over the offseason, and maybe that changes the picture of what he's going to be. Um, probably more realistic outlook for any pitcher is that that's not going to happen, and you need to start wondering if he's a back-end starter or better off as a reliever. But if I was going to argue for him, yeah, he could he could become a better – the ceiling is higher than Dunning. Um, but right now, I think Dunning's very clear that guy. Dunning's the guy who's going to give you what he has and not going to get in his own way night after night. And um, that 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 becomes the probably the easier pitcher to root for and less frustrating to watch, even if, you know, the scout will probably get more, you know, excited about Cease. So, but uh, this is, uh, you know, like everything else, a postseason unlike anything else, anything we've had in a while, because you're, you can't go three starters. You know, most people do use a fourth starter early on anyway, but you know they're going to have to go. It's going to be four, maybe maybe even a fifth starter, right? Yeah, I mean, if you have five straight games in a row, and if you're talking all this talk about like, well, this is just this first uh, season in the window, um, we want to um, have sustained run of success. And your ace is Lucas Giolito, who's very much part of that long-term group. It's not even like, and it's his first playoffs, and he's never like pitched 200 innings or all these other things. Maybe you're a little bit more hesitant to ride him than you would, you know, a Dallas Keuchel, a guy who you've clearly, you know, more of a mercenary who maybe you're you're clearly just mapping him out like, can we get him through three years healthier than this is possibly a long-term cornerstone arm who's going to be in the franchise for a decade. Maybe that changes the calculus a little bit. And maybe you think you can kind of piggyback your way through a, a game with Stever, Lopez, um, Gio Gonzalez. You know, I definitely wouldn't count on Carlos Rodon to any degree, uh, but you know, if he's there, maybe that factors in as well. It doesn't look like we're going to see a lot of Rodon and, uh, and uh, what's his name? Who am, I th- who am I blanking on? Bummer. Uh, no, who's the other? Isn't there another starter that's out? Uh, I mean, Gio Gonzalez is back, but he's just not. Right. I, was just, out I guess maybe I'm just. I'm just thinking of Rodon. They're uh, clearly not motivated to put Gonzalez back in rotation. Right. Right. But Rodon. I mean, it doesn't seem like. Are we going to even see him the rest of the year? I don't know, but I certainly feel like with the way this year has gone and his last year arbitration coming up. Uh, I I wonder how much we're going to see him in the Never. future. Right. You know, it was, that was your X factor at the beginning of the season, James. Well, uh, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I would have written about it differently if uh, if I knew <laughs> Stever was a possibility. If, right. Uh, if Bruce Levine had not made him cry on camera for reasons I still don't understand. Wait, uh, wait, wait, what? When did Bruce make him cry on camera? His last, oh, you mean uh, Bruce made Rodon cry on camera. Right. 
Not Stever. I don't. I don't, I don't <laughs> right. know. Right. I was like, why would he make Stever cry? That would be a very <laughs> weird thing a person to do. I've not seen that that breath of emotions from uh, a very work oriented <laughs> Jonathan Stever so far. What if Bruce? What if Bruce could make Dylan Cease cry on camera? I think I, it's been a long time since someone's been arrested for witchcraft, but I think that would be <laughs> proper cause. That would be like Roy Firestone level uh, interviewing skills from uh, Jerry Maguire. You're not going to make me cry, Bruce. Yeah, there were, he was asking something really long and winding. Um, to Ricky. Night. Oh, I, I was, yeah. It was probably to Ricky, and the, the, someone was chattering about, like, why isn't he, you know, someone should tell him that short, succinct questions work better. And I was like, you know, three times out of ten, these long, winding questions from him, like, come up with something, like, amazing in response. So I, I don't understand his methods, but I see the results enough to know that, uh, no way he kept, keeps doing it. It's a good point. I mean, like, I roll my eyes at people that ask, like, you know, these kind of questions. Sometimes, even like the goofballs in the media, like the people where you're like, what the hell is this person doing here? Sometimes they get great stuff for you. Yeah. You know, just with like the person. Sometimes I wonder if the, I would love to know like what athletes are thinking when we're asking our questions. I want to ask someone that that day because sometimes I feel like they just, they're like so uncomfortable. (laughs) Like what what some of these people are asking, they're just like, all right, I got to say something to like redeem this whole situation. Yeah, and so often, I know I'm extremely guilty of it, I'm less asking a question and more, I'm going to talk about a concept for a while and right. see if you're picking up what I'm putting down, and then you'll talk about it a little bit too, and then uh, we'll we'll go back and forth. And right. that works everyone, with brainier guys, but not everybody. Exactly. Everyone, Everyone's different. And like I said, when I hear all these dorks on Twitter, the journalism dorks, that'll be like... You know, every time someone says talk about these dorks, go, you know, these guys go on forever about how stupid bad that is. Sometimes, you know, you got to do that. And uh, the example I've used on this podcast before, and I tell people is the times when I was like, wasn't getting good answers from Ozzy. And someone's like, yeah, you're asking these long winded questions. <laughs> like <laughs> Ozzy's translating in his head. Just, just say something, just say Mark Burley <laughs> and he'll, and he'll just go off. Like you have to know who you're talking to. Um, yeah, that's definitely the way that like Coop has so many thoughts on everything that you just need to name the topic and then he'll go and that's what yes. you get. Not like you're not going to give him a treatise on anything. Exactly, because otherwise, if you go too in depth with him, he's going to spend the first half of the quote just arguing why you're wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is not the not, not not why either of us have sat down to to talk at that point. Exactly. Like, you don't need that. Like, I don't need Coop's shtick of telling you why you're stupid or something. Just like, I want to ask this, this pitching question. Let's get into it. All right, let's go to our favorite segment, um, James's Notre Dame memories. <laughs> is this a, is this based off the meme that was going around of, like, what were you doing in 2008 when the White Sox last made the playoffs? Well, I know what you were doing. Weren't you in your improv group? Yeah, we, we covered it last episode, but I, it yeah, was something I saw of us going today. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. We set this up. I think they probably got it from us. Yeah, I think we should at least take credit. I, I, I absolutely. Um, yeah, what can we talk about for your Notre Dame days? What's a, I guess I should have planned this a little better, done a little more research. Did you do the school paper there? Uh, for like one year. They had me yeah. writing inner hall game recaps and Oof. they, ed- they edited a lot. Of, uh, Chris Pine, the Chris Pine led sports department. Is I don't know Chris if he Hine? individually. What? Isn't it Chris Hine? 
Chris Pine, whatever. Chris Pine's the movie star. Chris <laughs> Pine's the uh, Chris Pine's the actor, right? Yeah, Chris Pine's the actor. Chris Hine is who I had. Um, a, a compliment to Chris Hine <laughs> that I think he looks like Chris Pine. But um, they edited the color out of my like articles, and I got See, annoyed. And they don't have my fine touch. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't allow me saying that Morrissey Hall beat down Keo Hall. I was only allowed to say they won. What? Really? Yeah. That's the whole point of inner hall. Like, if you're writing this stuff up, it's just to screw around <laughs> and like get people like and you know laughing about it. Apparently, Keo Hall had a lot of axe to grind with the, the Observer's inner hall football coverage, and they made their objections known. <laughs> <laughs> That's how a lot of people end up quitting is when they do uh, little sports like that. You know what I mean? Like people don't want to. You get annoyed um, with the smaller sports. So what'd you do after that? I started doing, I started writing sketches and started uh, doing comedic stuff. It's like, well, I get to say whatever crazy stuff in my mind all the time. Right. Doing there's, no this. Chris Hine, there's no Chris Hine in the uh, sketch comedy world. Yeah. Uh, Take that, Chris. There was a little bit trying to rein me in by a dude who's now like the, I'm pretty sure he's the principal of Marian Catholic, who was the, the president when I joined, but not, not really, not to, not to the Chris Hine levels. I think I was actually, and I, I was actually doing, I started doing sketch comedy like in Second City that January. So it was a little bit after you. We were, we were, we were on the same paths there, I guess. And look where we both ended up. <laughs> doing a podcast together. Doing a podcast together at night when we're tired. Yeah. Very all right. Yes. Very, <laughs> it's, it's very professional. Um, all right. Well, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, download us. Rate us highly on Apple, I guess. That helps a lot. Um, stream us on Spotify. Do whatever the heck you want. And remember, we, we do have that $1 promo going right now. Um, Theathletic.com forward slash Southside. If you're listening to this, I mean, and you're not subscribing, what the hell is wrong with you? Um, we know nothing's wrong with James because he's doing a great job covering this beat. Best White Sox beat writer there is. James, you're covering a playoff team. Congratulations. Talk again soon.